Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome. This is TGN, where you get to play board games with us, as well as uh, talk to board games, talk about board games with us. There we go. That sounds better. A uh, little introduction time. I am Matt, and I am joined here with Josh and Finn. And this is our Great Game Hunters podcast, where we like to talk about the uh, different monsters in Kingdom Death, the strategies of how to play through them, the different uh, things that go into them, and overall how to get the best bang for your buck out of each hunt. Did I miss anything there? I think that was everything. I think you got everything. So uh, today we're talking about the uh, Screaming Antelope, and uh, and it's all all its glory. Um, so let's uh, first talk about the lore a little bit of the uh, the antelope. Uh, you want to go into that a little bit, Matt, of of what the... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm skipping sections here. Our personal experience. you want to talk about our fights with the, the antelope and uh, what we've done with it before? Yeah, I know uh, myself and Josh here, we've been a little bit lim- uh, limited with our experience with the Screaming Antelope. Uh, but we do remember some stuff from back when we fought it the first few times around, and uh, I'm sure Ven's got a lot to bring to the table. Yeah, I've, I've got some. I've... Uh fought it a few times over the past couple of weeks and um i've been playing people of the sun with one of my friends and that has uh you go after the antelope a fair bit more there yeah so josh why don't you uh give a little quick uh breakdown of what we've done with the antelope so far and i'll i'll toss in my two cents one every once in a while um with the antelope so far we've done in our on our off stream games uh if we've only fought them on stream maybe twice if that i think we've only fought them once on stream but uh, off, off, we played around with the beast knuckles. We played around with some of the accessories he has, but nothing. It was we fought him very, very little. Um, I mean, I think the best thing, the only reason to fight him is get a canthus. That that was pretty much the only reason I think we ever fought him was if we wanted to stock up on a canthus plant because that was guaranteed to have like how many are on the board? Six. Yeah, there's uh, six total plants on the board. And yeah, there's uh, that's definitely a good reason to fight him is to get the acanthus. Um, I think we got a little freaked out the first time we fought him because I believe we lost someone to that uh, insanity thing. We had some people with very high insanity, so we tried to steer clear, and uh, we had a lot of bone gear, you know, first time around. And he does have those super dense locations, which are not uh, not too fun for your bone weapons. I know you've been playing around with him a little bit more recently, Fen. Uh, how's that been going for you? Um, not too bad. I mean, for the most part, I find the Screaming Antelope to be, while it's less predictable than the White Lion, it's it's not a particularly rough fight overall. And it's certainly a good place not just to get the Acanthus, but also to get a lot of resources, especially if you're looking to build generic stuff. Um, but I actually do like some of the Antelope-specific gear. I'm fond of the armor, um, and Blood Paint is one of my favorite items in the entire game. And he does have a, a lot of interesting things that you could make with the resources, but uh, that's something we'll be getting into a little later in this podcast. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's too much that we've done with the antelope, other than just a few hunts here and there where we've wanted to first play around with it, and then two where we wanted to stock up on the acanthus. Um, Josh, did we ever wind up even making a full armor set for it? No, because it wasn't something we ever looked into. But we're going to talk about that in a little bit and the changes 1.5 makes to make this even make that better and, and and how how the screen animal is going to get changed a little bit and make this more fun to fight because even Poots has said that uh, Screaming Animal hasn't been getting the love that he thinks it deserves. Right, and it is actually a very useful monster to fight. It's uh, very resource drop heavy or uh, 
so that's that's definitely something that's good. Uh, allows you to make a lot more gear when you fight it, especially if you take out some crit heavy people. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I feel that the screaming antelope is a lot better than people give it credit for. Um, it is a really useful monster. It's just there's not much that really makes you go, "Wow, I've got to have this." However. I think the Screaming set is a, a fantastic tank set as long as you can remain insane. And as I mentioned before, I love Blood Paint. And also, the um, the Stone Circle has the charms, and the blue charm is, is freaking incredible. It's fantastic. Admittedly, it's not a antelope-specific gear, but it's one of those things that it's easier to get if you're hunting the antelope because it requires a lot of organs. All right, so, Fen, let's start going into... Uh the next section here and start talking about some lore right yes um the lore on the screaming antelope is not that uh heavy or dense to be honest we have from the showdown the the small little blurb of there was once a fearsome monster that was trained by the hand to be a steed for the goblin however upon smelling its new master the monster's mind shattered and it ran into the unknown foaming at the mouth and biting the noses off the stone-faced floor uh on top of that there is a little bit more in the legendary, um, I think it's the Mad Steed. It might actually be the same antelope that's mentioned in that piece of lore. Because um, it certainly is, well, it's quite a beast for a starter. And well, um, <laughs> we're going to go into that at some point in the future when we talk about the legendaries. But I need to go back and fight them all again before I really break down that. If you give me a moment, I'm just going to grab the lore for the, um, for the Mad Steed. Right, so Josh, you want to give a little detail of what the screaming antelope actually is in game? Yeah, so, so it's, screaming uh, antelope is yeah, this is uh, it's basically a giant antelope with this giant mouth belly. Like it goes from chest to all the way down across the belly of a it's just teeth with little hands on the outside because you know that's what Poots likes to put in everything is little hands, um, and it's just big enough to eat people, and I guess some of the larger ones could even do more damage from the pictures you can see in the book um and uh he's he's the first like real like the white lion's a little weird and then you look at the screaming antelope you're like okay kind of looks like an antelope but it's got this giant belly thing that's kind of that's kind of scary and it's your first into how creepy are these monsters yeah i've always i've always felt that the screaming antelope it looks like a carcass it's like you know a carcass hanging from a butcher's hook really a living carcass but still that's interesting i never really made that connection but it doesn't make sense it looks like one that's been uh gutted open already but uh apparently that's its mouth yeah and the little hands you mentioned josh um that i believe they're the same parasites that infect the um the phoenix yeah so yeah probably the same parasites assuming that's what that is um so they yeah they look really cool Another yep. mechanic that the uh, the belly mouth brings in is he does like to plop down on it and kind of skirt around on his stomach, mouth, belly. It's very odd, but it's very disturbing the first time you read it and you try to visualize it in your head. So I think the the lore of the background of the monster does a good job of kind of instilling the weird, like kind of messed up monsters that are in this world, as Josh was saying. And the yeah, other... I've noticed. Go on, Josh. Uh, the other thing, uh, lore wise, is. We do know it seems that white lions do hunt the screen antelopes and, and they do roam in packs from what it sounds like, but you never fight them in a pack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to say the with the trap, there's always a nice reaction first time people read it. There seems to be a lot of people have a problem with the way the antelope slides along on its teeth. It seems to get people like 
really squirming and, and cringing. Um, I found the uh, the Mad Steed, and actually it's a bit kind of interesting because the, the flavor text for the Mad Steed is, it says, they say that the hand once trained a great horned beast to be ridden by him alone. As the beast carried the hand from one terrible task to the next, its appetite grew and its horns took on twisted shapes. So that's probably not the same one that's mentioned in the antelope law uh, for the showdown, because obviously that was made for the, the goblin. It might be, who knows? But either way, this mad steed has gone and ditched the hand and run off on its own. Um, I'll tell you one thing. I've, I've fought the mad steed twice and my God, it's, it's brutal. Absolutely brutal. And on the hunting front, um, not only do the white lions hunt them, but uh, spidiculous hunts them as well. Uh, there is a, um, what is it? There's an event. Um, I, what's the name of it? I can't remember the event name, sorry. But anyway, one of the things you can do is you can talk to the legless ball if you have it, and occasionally it will vomit up a bladder from the antelope. So it sort of makes sense. That's, I think, the reason why the spidiculus replaces the antelope is because basically antelopes don't want to hang around anywhere where there's um, spidiculus found. That's interesting. I didn't know that. That's That's kind of cool. So it seems like the antelope is like on the bottom of the food chain in the Kingdom Death world, even though I it's the you'll... second monster you fight. <laughs> I think you'll find the survivors on the bottom of the food chain, but uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The survivors are yeah below that, but on the monster level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, so, is there anything else on the lore then that we wanted to touch on before moving on? I think I'm good with that. So, do you want to uh, take us away on the hunt then, Matt? Absolutely. Uh, so. Hunting the Screaming Antelope is definitely interesting. Um, he moves around a lot in both the showdown and in the hunt. He's got two uh, hunt cards here that allow him to move across the hunt board, which definitely can alter how things play out for you. Uh, and then on top of that, too, there's that really interesting card of the uh, the dead antelope. Uh, Fen, did you want to talk about that one a little bit? Uh, <laughs> that, uh, that one, yeah, that's... Um... That's the card that you'd try and hope you don't draw when you're hunting the antelope. Because uh, if you do, um, you roll a dice on an 8+, plus, you're going to have a white lion turn up. But it's a white lion one level higher um, than normal. Otherwise, it triggers a basic event, which is fine. But if you go after a level 1 um, antelope in, say, even year, Lantern Year 2, and you have a level 2 white lion turn up, all of a sudden you're just slinging your four survivors right straight into the grave. You know, it's um, it, it's really frightening. Uh, even even most recently, when I played with uh, my friends Simon and Nick, and we were playing People of the Sun, um, we went out after a uh, level two antelope in Lantern Year Four, and we hit the dead antelope card. And um, I can tell you that was an immediate spend survival of the fittest to re-roll, so we don't have to face a level three white lion because we did not want to mess with that. And that you mentioned that we actually got this card on our first or second screaming antelope fight and fought a level two white lion. I think that's the first time we fought a level two white lion in like our first game. Um, and that was what our first, probably I think that was our very first settlement. And that was a quick wipe after that. Yeah, that settlement didn't last too long after that. Uh, it's definitely very brutal, especially if that happens to you uh, early on in the hunt. So after that, when we did go to hunt the screaming antelope, we were kind of very skittish and, uh, conservative in the level of the screaming antelope that we were fighting simply because of that one hunt card other than that the uh the hunt cards that are there aren't terrible except for uh carpet of ticks that's not a fun one that's the uh you 
add your hunt experience and roll a d10. And uh, if it's a six plus, you're golden, good to go. But uh, if you have a less than a six on that, you roll another d10, I believe. And then you have a chance of losing uh, a permanent strength, which is very killer. Just because if you could tend to get that card early on in the game when you're going to hunt a screaming antelope, and just getting that handicap is not not fun at all. Yeah, it's a... uh, 30% 30% chance of losing a permanent strength if you don't meet the uh, requirements for that card. Absolutely. It's a bit of a nightmare. Um, the thing I find most awkward about the Screaming Antelope, which is going to get fixed in 1.5, is it runs backwards a lot of the time. Like, three of its hunt cards send it back. And if you go hunting a, uh, a level 3 Antelope, you're going to see most of these cards because it's rare you get to skip them. So, if a lot of people have found uh, the level two even can run off to the starvation space, but level three is quite likely to, and that that just absolutely sucks. Um, there's not much you can do to mitigate it, except I think it's maybe the Manhunter's War Room innovation. It might be allows you to stop monsters running off the back, but uh, I got to say I'm pleased that we're not going to have hunts end in complete like failure with nothing. We you know we'll have to take the starvation punishment but at least we can still get to the monster. Right, and unlike the uh, lion, it looks like there's no hunt cards here that even allow you to possibly trigger an early fight with the antelope. There's a chance of triggering an early fight with the lion, but not the antelope here. Well, the antelope doesn't want to fight you, does it? No, he runs away quite a bit. There's one card that lets you do an early fight, which is Stampede, but you need to roll a 8+, to have it happen. Ah, yes. Ah, yeah, I didn't see that one there. I don't think we've come across that one at all when we did fight it. And again, an 8-plus is only a 30% chance, and that's only on one of its hunt cards, so chances are low of you possibly triggering that event early. Yeah, it's not not very likely, but it it, it is there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think my favorite event card out of the entire deck is unsurprisingly Teething, which is gives you a chance of getting um, the teeth, which is uh, 7 to 10 you can get them. Uh, and the only risk is on a one, you would suffer an event damage to the arm. So often, I'm very happy to draw that. Although you do find you tend to rip every single tooth out of the deck because there's not enough in there for four survivors. Um, and unless the Faku says that they go into the storage, which I don't believe it does, um, they're, they're gone from the deck. But yeah, teething, that's a, that's a great gamble. I mean, 10% chance of taking one damage to your arms versus a what, 40% chance of you gaining a, a Screaming Antelope resource, the Flat Tooth, that's uh, that's pretty good odds in your favor. So anything else we have during the hunt phase that we want to talk about or do we want to start talking about how this uh, the Screaming Antelope fights? Not really, except if you're going to hunt the Screaming Antelope, um, just be aware the hunt's usually going to be longer than you think it's going to be to start with, and especially be aware of what Overwhelming Darkness is going to do to you. Right, because even with a level 1, he's got cards in there that are going to move him back to uh, Overwhelming Darkness quite possibly. So there's a pretty good shot that you're going to be triggering that event. Uh, so Josh, do you want to start talking about the AI deck and the different attacks that the monster has? Yeah, so let's go on the AI deck. Um, looking at his AI deck, just give me a sec. He's got 7 basics. No, oh, sorry, that's uh, how many cards you put in there. Yeah, just to clarify, the only hunt event that puts resources straight into your storage is the one that gives you four broken lanterns. Okay, so Josh, you have the uh, hunt, or, sorry, the AI cards out. Yeah, I have the cards out. He has a uh, twelve basics, uh, 
eight advanced and three legendary cards uh, to his whole AI thing. Uh, and um, his basic cards aren't too bad. He's got a couple duplicates. The first one I'm going to talk about is the Chow Down card. Uh, Chow Down is, uh, there's two of them in the deck. This is his heal. This is, he heals 1d5. He eats a, a Cantus plant and heals 1d5. And then the card goes back to the top of the deck, which can suck, uh, especially if you've done a ton of damage to the monster. And when you fight some later level, he runs across the board and you might not be able to reach him. Um, so we've had, we've been lucky with this. I don't think this has happened too much to us. I mean, it's, it sucks when it comes up and we, it heals three, four, five damage. Uh, but then how have you felt about Chowdown? I've uh, never really had too much of a problem with it, but that's partly because we, when we play, we're of the opinion you run in and grab all the Acanthus as early as possible and get it off the board. I know some people play to leave some of it on there because you can lure the antelope back towards the middle if it runs away too much, but uh, we just we want to get that stuff bagged up as quickly as possible. Yeah, harvesting the Acanthus is very paramount to the Screaming Antelope fight. That's one of the main reasons to fight them. Um, but for that Chowdown card, I think we've had it happen more often than not, uh, where the Chowdown winds up near the top of the deck, and the uh, Antelope just goes and starts eating everything in sight without actually healing anything. True. It's not too bad if it happens early on in the fight, because, I mean, 1d5 cards healed if in the first couple of turns. You, you've not dealt that much damage. It's annoying, but... You know, you get to hit the monster and get rid of the chow down from the deck, um, and then you only have to deal with the second one if it turns up. So it could be worse. It's sort of near the mid to end part of the fight. If it starts chowing down, it can really be a problem. And taking a look at the other basic cards, I mean, there isn't... The basic cards are pretty straightforward. To do note, he does like to attack his blind spot and knock down survivors a lot, um, and it's not always who's facing. So you have to be a little bit careful if you're positioning and being knocked down. Uh, which makes it a lot different than the the white line. Um, but Fen or Matt, do you have any basic AI cards that really stand out to you guys? Well, I uh, as you mentioned, the um, the, the attacking behind of the blind spots a nightmare. Um, the back kick is really frightening. I mean, that is a it's it's a three plus, so it's not the usual two plus accuracy, but it is three damage, and that's a hell of a lot to take from a, a level one. Um, Apart from that, the it's the one-offs that I find quite uh, interesting. Um, two of them are sort of similar in um, effect, which is the gore and the rundown. Uh, and the gore, the antelope will run forward and then turn and face a survivor and then go and attack them um, and knock them down. It's not too dangerous, really. Um, but then there's the uh, rundown itself, where it normally prefers to hit someone who's knocked down. Um, and it will again. It runs forward and then turns to face the closest survivor, and um, and it moves twice in this one. It moves, so it's an effective range of twelve, which it can catch people off guard. Uh, but these these aren't quite so scary in some ways because it is when compared to bolt and slam. Because if there's nobody knocked down on bolt and slam, all of a sudden the antelope targets a furthest threat, and it can be a bit of a shock to go from fighting a white lion who tends to attack whoever's nearest and in front facing to ha- suddenly having an antelope running at your bow guy who's got no armor um, or, or just a loincloth uh, and it, you're relying on the uh, cat's eye circlet. Yeah, the antelope is definitely a lot harder to predict uh, who he's going to be attacking unless you're using that cat eye circlet. And then the uh, the other thing to note is that it's a lot harder to shield your uh, your people that aren't geared up as well. 
because uh, normally early game, you don't have enough gear to really give to everyone. So you're trying to have one person kind of take the majority of the hits, and it's definitely harder to do that with the antelope. Matt, I think you meant the rawhide headband with regards to controlling the AI. Correct. That's what I meant to say. I always get those two confused. Yeah, and the other thing I've noticed on the um, just the, and the streaming antelope in general is there is a lot of permanent injury cards, AI cards, that affect how he reacts and, and stops a lot of his attacks. So um, it's a lot easier to, to get some permanent injuries on him and make him a lot easier to deal with. Yes, you're right. Destroying the hoof has two locations that result in a knockdown. Oh, no, four, sorry. Four AI cards even um, trigger knockdown on destroyed hoof. And then crushed spine triggers one as well. And ruined horns, horns just cancels an attack outright. So um, I think that's one of the first sort of points of strategy is if you see the hoof near the top um, with cat's eye circlet, then you really want to try and crit that location because all of a sudden you negate its back kicks, which are terrifying. Uh, you stop it stomping and you stop it doing its great kick. Basically anything involving its most heavily damaging attacks, um, apart from Ravenous, which I'm sure we'll enjoy talking about in a little bit. Um, yeah, it cancels them out, which is fantastic. Right. And eliminating its ability to do uh, attacks to the blind spot, or at least mitigate that a little bit, is definitely uh, very handy when fighting the Screaming Antelope, because uh, fighting the White Lion kind of grooms you to just kind of have everyone go and trade off into the blind spot and attack that and spam that area, and the Antelope punishes you for doing that too much. All right, anything else about the basic cards before we start moving into the advanced cards? Uh, not really. I mean, uh, we've got, what, two Stomp and Snorts, which, Snorts, sorry, Stomp and Snorts, which is its only intimidate action if i remember correctly um that sort of gives you an indicate a little hint of the extra theme with the antelope which is that it messes around with insane targets uh in the case of stomp and snort if you it knocks down um if it causes brain damage but if you're insane you also get knocked back five not not a big penalty there but it does get a bit more dangerous on the insanity front later on with the antelope so yeah i'm all ready to go at these ai advanced ai cards Let's do it. All right. So I'm going to start off with the one and only mood that the uh, the Screaming Antelope has, which is Buck. And this is uh, this is where he attacks his blind spot uh, every freaking turn. At the start of each monster turn, he's going to target anyone in his blind spot and kick them. So, yeah, again, more blind spot manipulation from the uh, Screaming Antelope. Yeah. Um, I just remembered, before we do go on, there is one trait that's worth mentioning at this point, which is Trample. Um, and that's the antelope, when it collides, it actually causes damage equal to its monster level rather than just knocking you down. The antelope actually will hurt you, and that's why it can be dangerous with the way it runs about a lot. Um, but yes, anyway, um, Buck, Buck's an annoying one because uh, um, it's the only mood in the deck, and I, I don't want to take a... Um, a harp, a whisker harp along to fight the antelope if I can avoid it. So generally this sort of sits there and uh, more or less you don't really want to be in the blind spot anymore. Right, that definitely seems to eliminate that. I mean, that mood will eliminate your strategy for blind spot attacking unless you're going to be uh, willing to spend the survival to uh, dash out of the way after you attack the blind spot. So it would be moving back and forth every turn and that just seems like an excessive use of survival, especially earlier in the game. Yeah, so Buck is Buck is nasty a little bit just because it, it kind of kills the blind spot. Um, but as you get up in levels, that the tactics against the screening antelope change. You don't want to attack it necessarily from the blind spot, as uh, 
he likes to to move around a lot, and you don't want to be colliding with him. So um, let's look at his uh, invest, infest, ugh, infested card next. And you want to give us a reminder of what that text on that card is, Josh? It's a trait card. He gets plus one toughness, and then uh, this is where you discover the ticks on him. And uh, you roll die, you get brain damage. He draws another AA card. But when a survivor ends their act adjacent to him, uh, you roll a d10, and on the result of a one or two, they are infested with the ticks and gain a minus one strength token. So the ticks kind of get latch onto you and you start losing strength. Yeah, funnily enough, this plays into one of the ways that it's actually quite good to fight the antelope, which is to fight it using uh, ranged weapons, um, spears, and the counterweight axe in particular, uh, which is why I'm finding I quite like the design that's coming ahead on the new uh, Screaming Antelope armor, on the Screaming armor, because that's playing into spear use, which I really like spears against the antelope um it avoids some of the nasty reactions as well so this is obviously if you've got infested going on if you're going to go in close against this damn thing then you're going to be um well you've got a 20 percent chance of losing strength which later on strength isn't quite the most important stat but uh early on it can really it can be a problem yeah, early on when the uh, characters are all, you know, very low, you got some low strength weapons and everything, it can be a little problematic trying to wound the monster. And that definitely doesn't help when you start piling on the minus strength tokens. All right, next up we have a uh, Lone Rampage. This is a, like, zone of death. Uh, it's within four spaces around him. And uh, everyone within the zone of death gets one damage per monster level to every hit location. And all, suffer, uh, all survivors also suffer one damage per monster level, bash, and knock down, knock back seven. Yeah, this one's pretty damn terrifying if you happen to be knocked down when it happens. Um, it's not so bad when you stood up. Uh, you know, it does suck to get bashed and knocked down, but um, it's such a big area. There's there's just not a lot you can do if this is happening. You, you uh, this is one of those cards I try to prune out of the deck if I can. If I if I see it coming up via rawhide headband, I want to get rid of this damn thing because I mean, look at that zone. That's a, what's that? Ten by ten square. It's horrific. Yeah, it's it's absolutely huge, and uh, the knockback seven it just it makes it a little ridiculous, especially if you thin the deck out a little bit too much, and that's one of the remaining cards. Yeah, um, I as I said a bit earlier tonight, I had a run against the uh, level three antelope, and oh boy, this nearly happened, and uh, you know it was just just because I'd still carried the rawhide headband with me on my support character that I knew it was coming, I I was able to not have people knocked down, because otherwise, three damage to every single location is just it's just horrible. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. I mean, even late game, when you have some decent armor, just the fact that it's to every hit location is absolutely insane. Luckily, it's only a one-off in the deck, so usually, um, unless you're not playing manipulation and control of the AI deck, you can deal with this and make sure it doesn't happen. Which you do want to play control. You don't want to go in blind, especially with uh, the monsters with some of these really nasty cards that can be hidden in there. All right, so let's go to the next card, a Great Kick. This is another destroyed hoof location, um, another blind spot target. So this is a uh, move and attack, the blind spot. And it's a four speed, two plus accuracy, two damage. So it's, it's uh, a lot of speed. Yeah, it's also, if you notice, if nobody's in the blind spot, it goes straight at the furthest threat in field of view in range. So that can be quite a shock, because this is 
this is the highest speed attack it has, and it's probably overall the most damaging attack it has as well. So it's, it is quite a shock for somebody who's first fighting the, the antelope if they if this great kick crops up to suddenly it's like oh great nobody's in the blind spot and then you go hang on a minute oh this guy's got no armor yeah all of a sudden the uh, the bow guy with one waist armor that you've been shielding is uh now being charged at by the antelope and uh, it's it's not a, a good sight especially for speed for speed two damage that's even i mean early on that's that's really killer yeah it's uh it's definitely one of the advanced cards that uh, well this to be fair it's one of four advanced cards that are quite frightening but again, that's one of the destroyed hoof locations, so it's definitely something to keep in mind. Like I said, destroy that hoof. And let's go to the next one, Stomp, another destroyed hoof location. This is a uh, closest knockdown survivor, then furthest threat. Uh, it's only got a speed of one, a two plus, actually two damage. It does always hit the body, though. Uh, but if this yeah. deals damage, he draws another AA card. Yes, it, it's um, this one usually gets dodged, because one speed is not too bad, and you don't want it triggering another AI card. So... Not so bad early on, can be a bit worrisome later on when you've got when you're running out of uh, survival, which is just another argument for why rawhide is so good. Yeah, the uh, the drawing the additional AI cards really is very problematic, especially when you start getting later on, as you were saying, the deck starts thinning out, and this could start recurring more and more often. Right. But again, it all goes back to the destroyed hoof. Uh, but this is also another one of those where it's the furthest threat after if no one's knocked down. Or if there's, you know, no one. So that's that's definitely a problem. Again, trying to keep your uh, lightly armored guys back and out of the line of danger. But uh, he just comes up to you. Yeah, I think, in fact, the way I prefer to play is my support characters don't stand as far away as they normally would. Because uh, if you split the group up at, say, at high distance, I mean, they're high levels. The antelope moves um, eight. So there's... Only one bow that's got range nine, which I'm sure you're very familiar with, Matt. Yes, I am, and that's uh, you're really not going to be counting on that as being the one thing that's keeping you out of the antelope's range because of just the sheer amount that he moves. Absolutely. So, I I think when you hunt the antelope, you're better off staying closer clumped than you normally would. Um, but that has issues when you fight the higher level antelopes, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, I must say, the first time I fought a level 2 antelope, I spent a lot of time on my ass. Lots of knockdown and uh, damage from him running into you. An awful lot. The damn thing is really annoying at level 2. Alright, so let's get into some of the more advanced, uh, interesting. Okay, so Josh, any other cards. Uh, cards you wanted to bring up for us here? The AI deck? Yeah, let's get into some He's of... He's been saving the best three yeah, for last. The best three for last. Let's go to Ram next. So this is the furthest threat in range. It's a 1 speed, 2 Josh? plus... Act- Can you guys not hear me? Hello. Now I can hear you. Weird. I was talking the whole time. All right. So next up is Ram. So this is furthest threat in range. Otherwise, it's furthest survivor. And it's a move and attack. It's got one speed, two plus accuracy, one damage. Thing is, for every space it moves, it does plus one damage to the attack. Yeah. This is one of the single highest damage attacks in the game. Um I believe the no the Lion God definitely has a harder hitting damage attack potentially than this, but there's not much else because I mean, talking an antelope could be dealing nine damage to you if you're if you're unwise enough to be stood at that uh, range. Unlikely that it's going to be doing that, um, but still, that's just what else comes close the hand. Yeah, and the hand isn't exactly one that you're 
trying to to fight one up like the uh, the antelope. So it's a, a different ball game with that as well. Fortunately, it's one speed. If this had been two speed, it would have been absolutely terrifying. Uh, it's just once again another argument for taking it slow, taking it easy, making sure you keep some survival back for things like this. A hundred percent. I'd really hate to be in a predicament where this card comes up and the person that it's targeting doesn't have any uh, survival. All right. So let's or if go. you don't have dodge in general. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, the survival is the the biggest problem there. So let's go on to the uh, the next card is uh, Raven- Ravenous. This is the closest survivor with consumable gear in their range. Um, so what this is is a one speed, two plus accuracy, two damage, which isn't but bad. Yet again, it's another card that's uh, targeting the furthest threat. So uh, more running around the board and not targeting who you'd expect it to target. I think at this point you're arguing that you should expect it to attack whoever's furthest away or in the blind spot or knock down. Very true. It does have a lot of cards that target the furthest person. So it looks like, I mean, granted, when you fight it, it's going to be running back and forth across the board. It's not going to be attacking the same person over and over. So it's going to be sharing the love. Are you guys hearing me now? Yeah, we're hearing you now, yes. That's really weird. All right. I was going on to the next card, and uh, it seemed like you guys just kept talking. <laughs> I figured you might be having problems, and we just plowed on a bit. Um, is it Ravenous next? Yeah, Ravenous is next. So this is the closest survivor with consumable gear. Um, it doesn't move and attack. It's nothing special. One speed, two plus accuracy, two damage, but it's the after damage that's nasty. He consumes one gear in the target's gear grid, a consumable gear in their gear grid, and you archive that card. Yeah, the level two antelope ate, uh, ate, ate quite a few pieces of my gear. I was not very pleased with it at all. Eventually, I had to sacrifice my wisdom potion to it, which sucked. Yeah, there's quite a bit of handy uh, consumable gear, and it's one of those things that you don't really pay too much attention to until the uh, the antelope comes into play. That or you have the binge eating disorder, but that's another story. Yeah, just a note with Ravenous, um, it will target you if you're the closest survivor with consumable gear, but then it will otherwise target the closest survivor in field of view. It doesn't just eat consumable gear, it just consumes one piece of gear on the grid. You get to choose what, but uh, it can get really, you know, frustrating quite quickly because, I mean, how... how many how many pieces of gear do you have on your grid that you want to throw away? So what we actually found is early on, we will bring in like spare bone blades or spare bone darts we're not using anymore, just in case Ravenous catches us off guard. But when you get later on, you don't have that and you just need to sit on the speed and be ready because you can just imagine a fully kitted out eight slot survivor in the mid game. He's got nothing spare that he wants to lose at all. And this catching you on the hop could be very costly. Absolutely. I mean, even early game, you really uh, just, I mean, you can get rid of the waste armor. You can make an argument for that. But uh, if this comes up multiple times, this could really cause a lot of problems for you in early game, because all of a sudden you might find yourself down a uh, a weapon and you don't have a ton to spare in the beginning as well. And you don't really want to be punching the antelope for reasons that will become clear during the hit location section. All right. So let's go to the last uh, advanced card. Right, so what's the uh, the next card that we're going to go through, Josh? It's Crush and Devour. This is the uh, closest threat in field of view in range, closest survivor in range, and this is a two-speed, two-plus accuracy. I think you're having those audio issues again. Can you guys hear me now? Yes. yes. All right, for some reason, Discord needs to be main focus. I don't know why. It's not working with uh, OBS open. That's a setting. Uh, yeah, maybe. I'll play with it later. All right, so next is Crush and Devour. So closest threat in field of view in range, closest survivor in range. It's uh, two speed, two plus accuracy, 
doesn't do damage though. It does uh, the gobbled up story event. Uh, Fen, do you have that available with you? I do. Just give me a second, and I'll turn back to the right page. So yeah, this is a a fun one for sure. Yeah. So this is Crush and Devour, which for any of you who've got your book with you, it's on page one one three of the rule book. Uh, and as it says, the survivor disappears, shrieking into the screaming antelope's giant undermore. Um, and you have to roll the dice to see what happens. You get masticated. Uh, this was mentioned in Sit Down, Shut Up's review, and they said nothing prepares you for being masticated by a screaming antelope, and um, it certainly doesn't. Uh, this is, like, pretty bad when this happens. Um, the masticated roll has a straight-up 20% chance of just killing you, uh, or you can suffer a dismembered leg or a dismembered arm. That's, like, 20% dismembered leg, 20% dismembered arm, plus a heal on the monster. And then there's 40% of the time you have a chance of getting... To, well, 40% of the time you get to roll on another table. This table sucks as well, to be honest. It's got uh, one brain damage per monster level 30% of the time on a 1 to 3. On a 4 to 7, uh, you get you suffer one damage to every hit location. And then on an 8+, plus, you get to deal a wound to the uh, antelope, tear out its second heart... Um, and then it regurgitates you, which is where you get placed up uh, next to the monster. And that's that's the only way, if I remember correctly, that you get out. It's on the gobbled up status card. Yes. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, you can suffer two wounds. Uh, if the sorry, if the antelope suffers two wounds, you get spat out as well. And to be honest, that is what I would prefer to do if somebody gets um, crushed and devoured. Because I mean, geez, this table is horrific. Right. And I think is this. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The only way to get the second heart. It is the only way to get it, yeah. Um, and that's the only way to make the speed powder. So if you do want it, you're going to have to get yourself eaten up, but uh, you've got to ask yourself if it's really worth it or not. It's not bad. The speed powder is a um, soluble item that you can activate to suffer two brain damage and get a speed token once per showdown. But, I mean, you know, take along a disposable survivor to get eaten, maybe? Hopefully. And uh, I mean, even the loss of population is never that great of a thing in certain settlements more than others. But, uh, you know, in the new 1.5 updates, the re-roll, re-roll with survival of the fittest might come in handy there if you're really trying to go for the speed powder or something else that uses that uh, the second heart. Yeah, I think on the whole, this is sort of if it happens, you don't really aim for it to happen. And if you happen to get the heart, harp, the heart, good for you. Uh, make yourself some speed powder because you're not normally going to get your hands on it. All right, so um, we did all the advanced cards now, and uh, let's go into the uh, three legendary cards. And these only come out for a level three. There's no no level one or two. They get legendary cards. Yeah, there are three of them, and the level three will get two of them. Yeah, so we're going to start with the only attack one, which is a skewer, which is closest knockdown survivor, and then for the strat and field of view and range, and it's going to be move and attack, so one speed, two plus accuracy, three damage, but they also suffer the disemboweled severe body injury. So that is nasty. It's nasty, but um, it's it is low speed. Although you have to remember that the level three antelope has actually got three speed and plus two damage. So this is pretty much going to be at a minimum um, three dice hitting on two plus dealing five damage. So it's it is a lot more frightening than it looks on the card. Uh, but still, um, you know, it's not as scary as some of the other level 3 legendary actions from other monsters. Well, Disemboweled is also pretty nasty just because uh, that reduces your movement speed to 1, correct? 
Yep, and if you're the last man standing, then you're dead. So yeah, that's definitely problematic uh, if you are fighting the Screaming Antelope, just because with the amount that he's moving around the board, having a character or a survivor with just one movement is going to make things a little bit more difficult for you to get into range of attack, especially if you're not uh, capable of doing any sort of ranged attack whatsoever. Yeah, it makes you completely useless against the antelope, especially level 3 antelope, because he runs across the board. That's all he does all day long is run across the board. If you can only move one spot each turn, that's... Unless you have ranged, you're useless. Or unless he decides to attack you and he winds up in front of you. Um, no, because he still runs away at the end of every attack at a level 3, so... That's right, yeah. And we'll get into those cards in just a second. So let's go to the next one. Um, we're going to go to uh, In Heat. When this comes into play, the monster gains plus one damage token and draws an AA card. Um, when the monster performs Graze, its large undermouth babbles excitedly. All non-deaf survivors suffer one brain damage per monster level. And then when the monster performs Graze, all non-deaf insane survivors begin to cry and are knocked down. Yeah, this one's not too bad the damage token is uh, and the draw ai is kind of scary but um sometimes this can actually save a survivor because the reward for beating a level three antelope includes if you're at 20 plus insanity your survivor walks off into the distance never to be seen again so the brain damage can be beneficial it's not something you really want to try and aim for though yeah so let's go to the last one which is I think the nastiest of the uh, legendary cards, which is a uh, legendary horns. The screaming antelope is impossibly old. The monster gains plus four toughness tokens and plus one speed token. When a survivor with less than five courage ends their act adjacent to screaming antelope, they suffer one brain damage per monster level. When the monster is defeated, gain the legendary horns strange resource. Yep. So this is the only way you're going to get the legendary horns. Uh, this is a bit like how I mentioned with the um, golden eyes on the white lion in the previous podcast episode. You want this card to trigger as late as possible in the fight. Um, so you may want to just be burying it with rawhide if if you can with rawhide headband. Um, but that's you know it's, it's it's not it's not the worst. I have to say, I mean, the antelope goes to 16 toughness and plus 3 speed. There are scarier level 3s again. I mean, I think the antelope might be one of... It's annoying, but it might be one of the weakest level 3s out there. Um, but yeah, it, the, this is... Well, <laughs> I I had this happen um, this evening about halfway through the fight, and it did kick things up into a higher gear. Uh, it was a lot harder... Um, for me to do certain things, but I prepared for fighting the antelope by making sure most of my weapons were reached too. My poor Qatar wielder, on the other hand, uh, he had a, a devil of a time. Yeah, the toughness tokens are a bit of a pain, especially if you don't have a ton of strength, but you're fighting a level 3, and uh, 16 toughness is really not all that bad to deal with, uh, especially if it's a little later in the game. Yeah, so let's take a moment and actually look at uh, the basic attack now, since we kind of went through the AI deck. And it's basic. Yep. It's just the uh, closest knockdown survivor in range, and it's just a two, two speed, two plus, one accuracy. Otherwise, he graces. So that's his normal thing. So, he, as we said before, he not, he goes after knockdown survivors, blind spot, and people that are really far away on the board. Yep, and um, it's worth sort of going through and saying the um, with the graze because normally he's going to graze. Not there's not usually that many people knocked down, um, especially because you can deal with that problem. Uh, if if you know he's going to start basic action and you get people up onto their feet before it happens. So it tends to trigger the instinct an awful lot. And it's sort of interesting that if there is, 
if you're down to basic actions and there is no acanthus on the board left, the antelope ends up moving and just running straight to the edge and then running all the way around the outside of the uh, of the showdown board until eventually you put it out of its misery. Which I'm sure that's a a very fun thing to have to deal with is the antelope just kind of running around in circles and you trying to get yourself into a position to actually hit the damn thing. Yeah, so let's start going into some of its other trait cards, its special cards that were set up. So the first thing on a level one is we get uh, Trample, which is what we talked about before is when he collides with someone, you get that much dam- uh, monster level of damage. Which yeah, this again... one's pretty nasty. And it gets uh, more dangerous when combined with the level two trait, um, which is Diabolical. Yeah, so here, I'm going to put Diabolical up now. Uh, so at the end of the monster's turn, target a random survivor in the Trample Zone, which is... Anything in front, behind, or to left or to right. And then full move towards the target, otherwise full move in the direction the monster's facing. So running around more and effectively trying to trigger more tramples so he can uh, bowl into you. Yeah. Um, so this this is where you, you kind of start changing the way you're going to fight the antelope. Because when you get against the level 2, um, Diabolical is both an annoyance and something you can manipulate because the antelope's going to move eight. So you can stand all the way up at uh, at like 10 spaces away from it. And if you're within the um, the zones that it's going to tr- uh, charge at, yes, it will run towards you. So you can sort of pull it around and kite it a bit. But normally I end up trying to fight it on the corners um, because uh, using weapons with reach, preferably spears and the counterweight axe or something along those lines uh when we fought it um when nick and simon and myself fought it we took the greater gax and the king spear and uh the cat gut bow and a count and sorry what was it and a counterweight axe along with us so we could never be within the trample zone to have to attack yeah, that trample card or the diabolical card definitely does pose some issues if you don't have anything with reach. That's definitely recommended when dealing with the antelope is uh, something that can reach in and allow you to not be standing in areas that'll get you trampled by them. The, yeah. only, the only issue with the trample card, though, is it's after the monster attacks. So the monster's typically going to move to hit someone and they're going to be in that trample zone unless they dash. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um now this is this has reminded me of, of the the horrific stuff that I had to go through um my poor survivor on um last Thursday when we fought the level 2 because people of the sun uh, don't encourage they don't do it so you get stuck in a knockdown chain and eventually uh, I got out of it but my god the damn thing was just smashing me down trampling me over and over it was uh it was horrible all right so let's go to the last straight card which is only for level 3 which is hyper uh Metabolism? I'm, I'm Hypermetabolism. Yep. And then whenever the monster consumes terrain or gear, the monster gains plus one speed token. Yeah, basically this uh, this more or less reads get rid of all the acanthus as fast as possible and don't let Ravenous trigger. Yeah, that card paired with uh, Ravenous is definitely something that could really ruin the entire showdown. So that's it for all the AI cards for the most part. So uh, why don't we start talking about hit locations? So Fen, you want to start bringing us into that? Yep, sure. Okay, so the um, the antelope has a total of 22 hit locations, if I remember correctly. Um, and uh, it's 
it's very different to the white line. And this more than anything is where the uh, the AI cards give you part of the flavor of the antelope being quite skittish and running around the place a lot and being hard to manage. But the these locations, the hit locations really bring that home because the, the antelope reacts a lot more when you attack it. Um, it will react by... Uh, a, rarely it attacks back there's only one card that does that but it may knock people back um it even consumes on one of the locations and a lot of the time it reacts by changing its position uh the other notable thing is that with the exception of sorry it's 21 hit location cards not 22 the white line is 22 it's 21 um noticeable is that almost every single sorry no, I am wrong. It's 22. I missed the forgot the ferocious spasm. I apologize. It is 22 locations. Uh, 20 of them are critable. So you've got the ferocious spasm you can't crit and the um, trap, of course, cannot be critted. The 14 of these locations provide a monster resource on a crit. Um, when I fought the level three antelope uh, this evening with my um, my test crew, uh, I depleted the entire monster resource deck um, when it came to the a gaining of resources at the end which i was using the um, new rules from 1.5 uh, you, you get six basic and ten screaming antelope resources i could only draw um six cards from the deck because there was nothing left this thing's a loot pinata yeah it's definitely got a ton of resource drops and that's definitely something that makes it an appealing hunt for sure and the fact that it's got so many uh crit locations too it would, in regards to its hit location deck that's uh it's definitely something to think about when you're going up to fight them and uh, on top of that, too, uh, it's got the a lot of uh, hit locations that denote uh, club and shield. How many uh, are those again, Fen? There's five in total, and when you hit those, you get plus two luck, which increases your chances of critting. Plus two is very significant. Yeah, it's a great place to train shields and clubs. Yeah, my only issue with the clubs and shield is when you fight this early on, There's if you're playing base game, there is no clubs or shields till much later Till later on in the game, um, which makes it a little weird that that shows up now. Um, though I know in 1.5 they are adding a bone club to the bonesmith, which would be really awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, I really like the addition of the um, bone club, and the the art looks fantastic. So that that's um, that's going to be exciting to use that for sure. Uh, but uh, I, I guess I sort of forget about this because I play with the gorm a lot like you know you'd have to really convince me it's very difficult to convince me not to play with the gorm and the gorm of course has the knuckle shield uh, and the riot mace so my usual pathway is a couple of white lion fights off to the gorm when we've got shield ready and maybe got riot mace if i've been lucky go straight uh, after the um the antelope for a couple of fights yeah, it is very nice with the, uh, the the addition of the shield and club locations. As Josh was saying, it's a little weird just because the base game lacks any early on shields and clubs. But uh, shield mastery is something that's definitely something very nice. So it's it's cool to go into this fight with uh, shield guy just to try and train him up a little bit because that is something that is beneficial to a, a later game campaign. Absolutely. Um, so the other things that are worth noting with the hit locations is there is one super dense location, which is the giant teeth. That can catch you a bit on the hop um, because the line doesn't have any at all. So if you're playing core game only, you could have fought the line a few times um, and then gone, oh, well, I'm going to fight this antelope now um, and taken in your bone weapons, your bone darts or whatever, and suddenly you lose them. 
Yeah, the first time you fight the antelope and you see you get that uh, uh, super dense location, it really throws a monkey wrench into things because early game you generally are going to have bone everything. So that's just the way the the cookie crumbles with that the first playthrough. But you eventually learn not to take bone stuff uh, towards the antelope fight. It's not too bad just because it's one location and you could really mitigate that with the uh, the cat eye circlet. But even still, yeah, absolutely. Um... The other things I think that are worth noting uh, is the Restless Eye, which plays into this theme of the antelope messing around with survivors who are insane. Uh, if you draw the Restless Eye, which is a first strike location, so you have to pick it first. Um, if you're insane, you, the rest of your attacks cancelled. That's it. Uh, if you're not insane, you suffer a brain damage, which can be a problem as well because if you're not insane, you've got zero, one, or two insanity. So uh, it's a bit of annoyance. Um, I've actually recently critted this location for the first time and I'd never paid attention before, but this actually, the antelope loses um, one evasion, gets a minus evasion token, and this card actually gets archived, um, which uh, was a bit of a surprise because my only other experience with monsters that archive cards from its deck, with the exception of high-level monsters, is against the um, Dung Beetle Knights, so it's a bit of a a nice surprise to realise that there is this mechanic within the core game. Right, and I think that uh, definitely plays into the fact that it gives it the minus evasion token, so it doesn't want you to keep stacking those over and over again, I guess. Uh, But the minus evasion token, that is a really nice card to crit on. Yeah. Um, The other locations I think are uh, worth remembering exist. Uh, It's the Restless Tiny Hands, which on a failure, uh, the hands knock your weapon away, and you have to spend an activation to get it back. Uh, this always causes a bit of confusion for people if it happens with a ranged weapon. Um, so use your imagination on how the little parasitic hands have managed to get over and knock your bow out of your hand. Um, but then the other two are quite similar. Now, they are the giant mouth and the restless hoof. Now, the restless hoof is that location you'd like to quit because it's the, that's where you get the destroyed hoof from. So against a high-level antelope, this actually founding stone in this location can be a huge benefit because suddenly you've got a big group of AI cards that you can leave in the deck that cause the antelope to fall over. Um, the giant mouth, on the other hand, uh, it doesn't have that uh, much of a benefit if you crit it. It instead causes the antelope to start vomiting blood. And on collisions, they give you more insanity. That sounds good because insanity is armed for brain, sure. But just remember... 20 plus insanity versus the level 3 antelope, and you are gone at the end of the fight. Now, the reason I actually mention both of these locations, though, is their their reactions are interesting. Um, and this is the reason I said earlier, I don't punch the antelope um, unless I've cleared it with a circlet first. Because if you fail to injure the restless hoof, if you're attacking fist and tooth, you suffer a dislocated shoulder, which sucks. Um, the giant mouth... If you attack it at all, um, on a one or a two, it will consume your weapon um, regardless. If it's a melee weapon, it won't do it to a range. But if you're fist and tooth in, it'll dismember your arm as it bites it off. So those two locations, I consider sort of, I I try and watch out for them. Yeah, you don't want to be losing uh, arms on characters. And just Um, note, there's seven permanent injuries in the antelope. So there's a lot of ways to to thin this deck out and really have them limp in. Another uh, very, very interesting hit location card to look at here is the Restless Inner Thigh. And uh, that one is really, that's a great 
critical location to wound, the persistent injury there. I mean, even its normal wound, when you wound that location, the monster gains a, a minus one movement token, which could be very beneficial against the antelope. Uh, but the persistent injury on that is uh, the monster's injury worsens if it moves. Whenever the screaming antelope moves, it suffers an additional wound. And as we were discussing them before, the antelope moves a lot. Yep, yep. Um, although you, you, this, uh, it, it's easy to get this card wrong because um, you have to remember that it gets discarded at the end of the next round. But yeah, it's, it's very good and it can shorten the air what would be a very tough fight against the two, level two or three. I like the uh, delicate inverted knee. That's the one where uh, it's only on a ten percent chance, but each time the monster moves, it on a roll of d ten on a one, the antelope's knocked down. It's always good to have the um, any monster knocked down during its own turn. Well, um, before we sort of look at the trap, I think it's just worth mentioning um, the card that I forgot about originally when I was saying there was only twenty one in the deck, which is the ferocious spasm. This one is uh, the other reason why I've come to the conclusion you attack from the corners with uh, reach two weapons is because if you hit the ferocious spasm, then the antelope will, uh, its zone of death triggers in all of the spaces adjacent to it. So that's eight potential spaces, and it will basic action every single survivor um, who's in those spaces. So you don't really want to be in there because getting hit on a reflex sucks. Um, it's not, you just don't want it. Uh, so, as I say, fight the antelope by standing at corners if you can. Use spears, use long axes. All right, so we're ready to look at the uh, trap card now. Yeah, so the, uh, the trap card is um, the wailing slide, and the text is, The screaming antelope panics, its undermouth unleashing an inhuman wail. It bucks wildly and leaps into the air. The attacker is doomed. All survivors adjacent to the monster suffer two brain damage per monster level, knockback five, and are knocked down. The monster lands on its belly and begins to slide on its teeth. Turn the monster directly away from the attacker and fall moving the straight line. On a collision, non-death survivors gain one random disorder in addition to the normal collision rules. So this one is interesting because, first of all, only the attacker gets doomed. So uh, obviously a trap finishes the um, the whole attack that the survivor is doing. So there are opportunities for survival actions to occur. Um, and in this trap only it dooms the attacker. Um, but it's pretty brutal and it sucks no end to uh, have the antelope spin around and mow you down, which is a reason why, again, you don't want to be in the blind spot. It's part of that punishing the blind spot mechanic that the antelope likes to employ. Absolutely. And then getting the uh, the random disorder, that could be could be good, could be a good thing, but odds are it's not going to be good and uh, could really throw a monkey wrench into not only the showdown that you're currently in, but uh, just your just entire survival and survivor in general. Yeah, indeed. So, uh, Josh, do you have anything you'd like to bring up from the hit location deck? No, I think we got everything that uh, I would bring in. So, yeah, the chap's, chap's interesting. It's just, it's just that... You said it earlier, the first time he does this and, like, you don't know who he is, it's just, it's, it sounds creepy as hell. And you can make it understand why someone would get a disorder or something just watching this giant antelope slide across its its mouth belly. Yep. Um, so just to summarize on the screaming antelope, uh, you want to attack it from the corners and um, you, uh, you just want to know that this thing's going to spit out resources like crazy, so... Have plenty of uh, plenty of deadly weapons, luck charms, and so on, and you'll you'll get a lot of resources that you can spend not just on screaming antelope specific stuff, because 
let's be honest, there isn't that much. Um, but also getting more rawhide, getting leather and things like that. So with that said, let's have a look at the resources. All right, let's look at resources. So Fen, what do we have for resources? Okay, so the resource deck for the antelope is um, 16 cards deep. Um, it, it contains four pelts, four shank bones, two large flat teeth, one spiral horn, one muscly gums, one screaming brain, one bladder, and two beast stakes. Uh, now, with all of these, the, um, the pelts are usable for building the armor. Um, as is the spiral horn, which uh, that's the only place you use the spiral horn. Um, apart from uh, the pelts, the rest of the resources required for building the armor are just generic ones, hide and bone. The large flat tooths are used for the beast knuckles. The shank bone is used for making the bone earrings, which um, I like in People of the Bone. They're, uh, they're fantastic there. Um, and then the, uh, well... The other bits and pieces vary. The muscly gums and the screaming brain are used in the barber surgeon for making brain mint and the bug trap. The bug trap's an interesting one that um, you do want to remember exists. It lets you, on a 3-plus at the start of a showdown, add a bug patch terrain to the showdown board, which builds into this thing where the antelope is involved with cooking because the beast steaks are used in the cooking recipes, um, along with some of the other parts as well. But my favourite item, and the one I'm always going in for, sorry, resource, is the bladder. Because the bladder is what you need to build blood paint once you have the paint innovation. And I love blood paint. So it's it's something you're looking for. The, the antelope has a higher amount of organs that spit out of it um, when you attack it. Um, so, but a lot of these organs are kind of they're used in cooking or they're used in the barber surgeon stuff. So instead, you kind of generically use them to make uh, monster grease, fecal salves, luck charms, or unlock the stone circle um, and build other bits and pieces. So this is one of the reasons many people are very disappointed with the antelope is a lot of the stuff that you do with the antelope specific resources is not obvious. It's not immediate where you're going to use it um the beef steaks for example they're only usable either as generic organs or in cooking and cooking is generally one of those things that we have avoided in our uh campaigns and i know you said that you haven't done it all too much even though it is a, a handy thing to do uh it's just when it comes up there's not really much uh that we wouldn't take over it innovation wise it gets better when you figure out how to um collect salt on a regular basis um because salt improves cooking but yeah uh cooking is one of those undervalued and underutilized parts of the game that has some good benefits um but it's also getting buffed in 1.5 and i look forward to seeing what uh, poots is going to be doing with it this is also part of the reason why people say losing the antelope sucks because cooking is almost entirely dependent on antelope pieces Right, and you mean losing the antelope as in uh, introducing uh, Spidiculus in the campaign, right? Yep, yep. If you have Spidiculus in uh, for Lantern Year 2, then yes. When you lose the antelope, you lose access to... Now, you did bring up uh, blood paint as being something that you uh, definitely try to make with the Screaming Antelope resources. Uh, can you just give us a refresher on what blood paint actually does? Oh, blood paint's one of my favorite items in the game. You usually don't need more than one or two of it. Now, it's a... It's a soluble item, 
and it has an arrow on the left and the right hand side of its um of its gear card and the ability it has is activate it to activate the weapon gear to the left and right of this card these are two separate attacks they cannot be used with two-handed weapons so effectively this is what i like to do with my top end damage builds is it, it basically gives you a guy who becomes effectively two guys it costs three gear slots to get it active but if you are attacking twice with some of the top end weapons that you can get for example the um, digging claws from the dung beetle knight or the denticle axe from the sunstalker or even um, the riot mace from the gorm or perhaps even say a pair of scrap swords or something like that you can deal a lot of damage and it frees up your need to have two damage dealing characters so you can change the build that you're looking to do to, with your party and have an extra tank if you want or an extra support character or perhaps even a bruiser so effectively for the cost of three slots well two slots because you need to carry a weapon blood paint allows you to have an, another survivor kind of tucked inside your damage guy and i think blood paint by itself is worth the price of admission of the antelope and that is why i think the antelope is hugely underrated because blood paint is amazing yeah blood paint is interesting because it uh i mean specifically denotes no two-handed weapons doubling up there and a lot of the times our damage heavy builds tend to revolve around two-handed uh weapons but that definitely opens up a lot of doors if you're able to effectively dual wield uh two separate unrelated single handers yeah, just from the start early on, you can stick a pair of Lime Beast Katars. And I know Katars are paired, and it seems a little counterintuitive to then put paired weapons in on Blood Paint. But attacking twice separately with two Lime Beast Katars is better than attacking once with full speed on a single set. Because separate attacks mean you can, you're rolling less dice, so you're less likely to lose all of your rolls to the trap or to bad reactions. A funny thing we did with uh, Blood Paint when we first played um off stream as we we built the lion guitars and the beast knuckle guitars and and we blood painted them so it was like eight dice a turn something silly like that which we learned quickly that speed is horrible and and that not really wanted that much but it was a interesting combination trying to do a full guitar build and it works because guitars aren't technically two-handed so so it's kind of weird that they get someone with uh two guitars in each hand um attacking things Right, so is there any other resources you wanted to uh, touch on there, Fen? Did I lose you guys? I'm still here. <laughs> I was pushing the wrong button to talk. This is uh, professional streaming. Hey. Um, yeah, I, I don't have too much more uh, to say on the resources front. Uh, it's um, it, it definitely, blood paint is what I'm looking for. Um, but I think the antelope is going to become more enticing when we see what the new cooking is like. I really do think that uh, Poots is looking to to work hard on cooking, especially because of the um, he's he's the Anna um, car the Anna miniature and update in the gambler's chest. Yeah, so let's let's go on to the next thing. Uh, kind of we kind of talked about these things throughout it. Uh, strategy wise, you want to attack from the corners. Dash is good. Um, so that, that's some of the things you want to do. Any other strategy wise things you want to go in with the antelope, Fen? And not really. Um, the antelope, as I said, is it's harder to manage than uh, most of the monsters. And to be honest, 
it is the one which I've not managed to really figure out what it's going to do at any given time. I tend to take a more cautious approach fighting the antelope and pay attention to rawhide headband results to see what's coming up, uh, filter the deck a bit more and um, try and make the antelope more predictable. But yeah, uh, don't send survivors with broken jaws out there because you do need to encourage a fair bit. Yeah, lots of encouraging, and definitely keep in mind that he's probably going to be attacking towards the furthest away person, and uh, not who's in his face. So more than likely, he will be trampling someone if they're uh, within that line of sight to his other target. And then the other thing we talked about briefly was uh, the ramp up. So we talked a little bit about how he ramps up. So level one, he's just a six movement, eight toughness, uh Seven basic, three advanced cards. So he's got 11 health, and he's got the trample in play. Uh, level two, he goes up from uh, from six movement to eight. He's a toughness of 10, plus one speed, plus one damage, which is pretty normal. Uh, five basic, five advanced, so 16 health total, and he gets that diabolical, diabolical card in play. That's where he starts moving around a lot and where Dash becomes your best friend. And one of the reasons why Dash is my favorite survival action. Yeah, you definitely want Dash if you're going after a level 2 Antelope, much like when you go after a level 2 White Lion. And then level 3 is, uh, he's got 8 movement, 12 toughness, plus 2 speed, plus 2 damage. He also gets plus 1 evasion token, um, and he gets that hyper metabolism card, which is the plus 1 speed on when he eats something. Um, he has a total of 22 cards, so he has 23 health, 12 basic, 8 advance, and 2 legendary. So he... He's got a lot of health. I'm not sure how he ranks health-wise compared to the other level threes, but uh, it's a good chunk of his cards. And I think that gets mitigated by the fact that his toughness isn't particularly anything to write home about, but uh, he's got the potential to heal a little bit in there and then give himself the plus speed from those legendary cards. So that could definitely change things up. He seems like a little bit uh, easier of a monster to wound, but with all that health, it... You know, it gives him a lot of different AI cards, too, which makes it even harder to predict what he's going to be doing. So anything else about the uh, the lion that we uh, about the scream animal that we talked about before we start talking about gear? Uh, no, I think I'm pretty happy with that. Um, it is just maybe worth mentioning the changes that are happening to the showdown in 1.5, um, which uh, we are now getting a bug spot terrain card set up in the gold area, which is located five spaces south of the antelope. Um, if you recall, normally you enter on the short uh, board edges. You choose a short board edge to come in on. Um, this is good because, as I said, cooking cooking requires vermin, and vermin are, are not that easy to get the hold of. So this is tying in a little bit more. Uh, and also the change to the rewards. So now beating the level two gives you seven screaming antelope resources and six basic. And given how much, how many monster resources the antelope generally generates when you're fighting it anyhow you should be able to get most of the deck and everything you need from fighting a level two um the level three gives you six basic ten screaming antelope resources and two vermin and as i said when i fought tonight i actually i got four less resources than i should have because there was nothing left in the deck finally um if you have pottery when you defeat a level two screaming antelope or higher level three you get the barber surgeon settlement location which is a bit of a change um the re-haul, overhaul to the whole pottery barber surgeon thing is um, and a move towards making the screaming antelope more relevant because uh, it's quite difficult to build the um, barber surgeon and not 
at the moment and not really worth the effort overall. There is some good stuff there, but it's a lot of hassle when you're trying to also make lantern armor and things. So yeah, um, I think that's it. And uh, should we take it over to gear then, Josh? Yeah, let's get into gear. So let's uh, let's go over the armor set first. Um, it's an interesting armor set. Um, all the pieces are two armor besides the head, which is three. Uh, let's talk about the body first, and then we'll talk about the head because the head's a little bit different. So all the uh, body pieces are two armor, um, and then uh, they're also a fur set. Uh, the only thing is, so the difference between that and the head is the head is actually three armor and is actually it's not fur; it's a bone item. So it makes it a little bit different. Um, it's actually usable in people with the bone, um, and it's got a little bit more armor on it. Um, yeah, I like this um, this head. Sorry, Josh, were you going to say? No, go, go ahead. Yeah, I I like the um, screaming horns. Um, I do actually have a build uh, that I used it in. That I found this build on Board Game Geek a while ago and made use of it. Um, it's a little awkward to make because you have to have Spidiculus and the Antelope and the Slenderman in the same expansion, um, in the same cat timeline. You want the Antelope and Slenderman together anyhow, but it's just you have to introduce Spidiculus a bit later on. But uh, this one, it involves the Screaming Horns um, as, as your, and the Silk Boots as your only armor pieces. And effectively, it's built around um, using Death Pact combined with uh, the Rubber Bone Harvest and the Gloom Hammer and the Green Ring. And I'll talk about this in a lot of detail when we finally get onto our episode on builds. But uh, it's... It, it, the reason that you use the horns in this set is you need a lot of insanity and you use the horns to generate insanity for your survivor and give them for everyone else. And I like that mechanic on the horns. It, it's really useful to have a survivor who can give people insanity when they run out of it and they're down to start taking brain trauma, especially if you don't want to play with ex, um, except darkness as a principle. Yeah, the horns are interesting that, that, that you can actually give out survival, which is nice. Um, the other thing on the armor set is the, uh, slam feature, which I was reading it. I was reading that earlier and it sounds okay. And then I looked at the 1.5 changes for the armor set itself, which is, and I think it, it's a nice improvement. So with a uh, slam, it is spend your movement to full move forward in a straight line. If you move four plus spaces and stop adjacent to the monster, move it back one space. It gains minus one toughness until the end of the round. So you're actually pushing the monster back a spot. And you're also making it minus one toughness. Um, and then uh, if you have the braces on, it's when, you s- when you're when you slamming, you can uh, collide. You can move through other survivors without an issue. Uh, you don't suffer collision. Um, you just can't end your move on it. So it's a nice way to push the monster back and attack. Um, only thing is it does need to be paired with a reach weapon if you want to actually attack with that character too. Unless you get the full armor set, which we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. Um, so... I re- I've been using this set in People of the Sun, and I really like this set. It is obscenely tanky, considering how straightforward it is to put together. You should be able to make this full set after two antelopes, two level ones, um, or a single level two. Well, you need, yeah, single level two, you can manage it off as well. But one to two antelopes, you'll have a full set. And... Um, the, the the complete set bonus, if you're insane, adds two armor to all locations. So all of a sudden, you've got four on every location, five on the head. That's huge. And it gets even better in 1.5. So what are the updates that were given to us with the uh, 1.5? Okay, so I'll tell you what it's like right now. 
and then I'll tell you what it's like in 1.5. So currently the full set, um, a completed set bonus for the Screaming Armour is when you depart, if you're insane, add two to all hit locations. It's it's relatively easy to remain insane when you're using the Screaming Antelope Armour because you can give yourself insanity during the sh- previous showdowns and you gain one for departing. Additionally, it says after you slam, you may move one space and gain plus two strength until end of turn. So that gives you the ability when you slam the monster to then get next to it to attack to not have to use reach weapons. I like the theme on this. It's awkward. Um, it can be annoying to try and micromanage the armor. So what Poots has done with 1.5 update is he's basically improved both of these abilities. So completed armor set now in 1.5 will be two to all hit locations. So that makes it really tanky armor. Like that's that's the ta- considering you can get this complete armor set maybe by Lantern Year Five in the core game four or five. That's a huge amount of armor. Superb. Um, then the it gets an updated version of the second part of the text, which is now called Skewer, and it reads, after you slam, spend your activation to move one space and activate a melee weapon with plus two strength. So that's the same as the previous ability, but now you have to spend your activation to, to use it. But also, if you wound with a spear, apply that wound result to the next selected hit location. So... Uh, wording on that's a little kind of like I, I believe what it's trying to say is that you you get to wound when you wound you get to apply the same wound result to two locations is my understanding right yeah so that? how how i'm reading that is you attack once you hit the first hit location and you wound it so then you apply that that same number to the next hit location and and if you wound it it goes out if not if so you basically do two wounds for one good roll if you fail the first one, you just roll the next one, and it, it doesn't matter, from how I understand. So you basically take out two hit location cards with one roll. If it succeeds, otherwise you roll for each one. That sounds like I'm thinking. What about if you've got three speed and you've hit with three dice? Um, by my understanding of that, then you would wound the first one, use that roll, and apply it to the second one. Uh, do you? Could you then apply that result to the third, do you think? I think it's just the, the next one. There's two, not three. So, so if your speed's higher, you just roll the rest as normal, I think. But the wording is in work, so who knows what the final words will be. I hope it's tightened up just a little bit there, because it is called Skewer, and that suggests to me, I mean, that maybe it just keeps going, but maybe not. Who knows? Um, I could see it going either way, mechanically and thematically, so we'll have to see. But anyway, I love this update. I actually really like Screaming Antelope Armor. I think it's a lot better than people give it credit for. And I'm happy to see the the update to this. And I'm really happy to see armor for a spear user. Especially because it it looks like you should be a spear user. You know, so much about the antelope says is involved with spears. It's big, long horns. The way that it's worth using spears to fight it. So this is great. I, I love this update. Especially with how useful the uh, the spears are with the weapon proficiency, it's uh, definitely a nice bonus there as well. Oh yeah, yeah, that lovely, lovely weapon proficiency, and how it stacks with the blue charm, which funnily enough comes from the stone circle. So you want to talk about the charms next? I'd love to talk about the charms. Uh, have you guys had much um, interaction with these at all? Actually, I know that in uh, one of our builds that we did on our tank characters uh josh threw the green charm on them uh that was with one of the green savior tanks that we made i believe is that right josh 
Um, it was actually with all our tanks. Um, I had the green affinities lined up, so it worked for both of them. Just, just so I had on deathable. Uh, I don't deathable. know if you could hear me. Uh, I can sit here. Sorry, that was me. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, we used the green. Uh, we used that with any of our uh, tanks. Uh, we actually got the gear set set up so it worked with all green, uh, all our tanks. So they had undeathable and just made it that much harder to kill. So um, that's the the green charm, right? Yeah, I see. I haven't used the green charm. Um, I have seen it in the first draft of the Acanthus Doctor build, uh, which I think it's sort of optional in there. Um, the red charm I've used a little bit. Um, obviously, once again, it's quite good tagged with uh, used with red saviors and the like. It's interesting because. It means no matter how awful the weapon is you're using, you have a 50% chance of wounding with it. So let's um, take a second to talk about the cards for people who are listening. Um, each one of them gives them a, an affinity of either a blue, red, or green, and they each have a special ability if you have five of that color. Uh, they're all items, jewelry, fragile. Um, so the green one has undeathable, which is if you would die, roll a d10. On a six plus, you survive. Um Red charm. So 50-50 shot on that. Yeah. Um, on the, all these have the same 50-50 shot. So the red charm is unstoppable when you attempt to wound. Instead of rolling a d10 to see if you wound, roll a d10 and on a 1 to 5, you fail. On a 6 to 10, you wound. So 50-50 shot. And then unshakable, when you draw a trap, draw, this is the blue one, uh, roll a d10 on a 6 plus, discard the trap and reshuffle the deck. So with the red charm, I'm kind of interested there. Does that mean it takes away your ability to crit? Yes, it does. Yep. So that's definitely a downside to the red charm, but pairing that with a red savior would definitely be interesting, uh, especially a red savior with uh, a weapon that's, you know, decent accuracy, but possibly uh, lower strength to it because strength kind of goes out the window there. And the accuracy doesn't even matter with the red savior because then you get into the uh, the auto hits. So it's just uh, pick your speed, essentially. Yeah, very much so. Uh, it's going to be very effective against monsters that um, don't react too much when you fail to wound. And then the uh, the blue charm. I know you brought up the uh, the unshakable. When you draw a trap, roll a d10 on a six plus, uh, discard the trap and reshuffle. That paired with uh, uh, sorry, spear proficiency or specialization uh, mastery. I think it is uh, specialization. Specialization. Yeah, those two paired together gives you kind of a massive ability to uh, dodge the traps. Yes. Uh, now, I love the blue charm. I think the blue charm is hugely underrated in the community. Um, I'm noticing it's picking up a little bit of traction. Uh, some people are noticing what it does. But yes, blue charm, you stack it with the spear, and all of a sudden you have a character who has a fifth, six plus, they cancel the trap, and then a seven plus, they can cancel the trap. Yeah, sure, you can get shuffled and you redraw it. Fine, that happens occasionally. But this is one of the ways you beat monsters with super scary traps. This is how I handle Lion Gods. I will have a guy wearing cy- Cyclopean armor, carrying a beacon shield, or Fetosaurus if I've been lucky in managing to make it, um, and uh, and carrying a spear or some other defensive kind of gear. And his job, or her job, is exclusively to get in there and cancel the trap. Rest of the time, kind of play defensively, block and everything. Uh, you've seen how effective it can be if you negate a trap with your games against the Dung Beetle Knight, where you manage to find a way to uh, game the Slam Dunk, as I'm sure you should be very proud of, you know? 
yeah, gaming the uh, the trap cards and getting them out of way without getting them out of the way without them resolving is definitely huge. Um, especially, I mean, if you have the blue charm paired with a uh, spear specialization paired with a uh, oh, what am I thinking of now? I just slipped my mind. Oh, uh, the uh, the wisdom potion in play, so you could actually see when the trap card's coming up. You know exactly when to go in and uh, poke at the monster and trigger the card. Yeah, and the circlet as well. We always comes back to the cat's eye circlet. But yeah, you can really handle the AI. And um, when you deal with certain monsters, especially further up, the traps become quite obscene. You've encountered the Kingsman trap, haven't you, a few times? Yes, I have. Remind me what that one was again. That's the, uh, he does as much damage as how many wounds he has, unless you have a shield. Right, right. So that could be definitely something that ruins your entire uh, showdown. Yeah, so that one's kind of bad and a bit sort of scary. Um, then, though, can you imagine? The, I don't think you've seen what the Lion God does to you on a trap, have you? We have not fought the Lion God, so no. Oh, that's an absolute doozy. I've actually got the uh, the Lion God deck sat here, and um, though it's a tiny bit off the main topic, and I'll talk more about it when we do talk about the Lion God, I'm just going to let you know what this is like, because this is why I rate the Blue Charm, this is why I rate the Spear, and this is why I can hunt Lion Gods when other people struggle with them, is because I play with this. I, uh, this Blue Charm is a must-have for me. Even if I'm playing with Spidiculus and I've lost the Antelope, I will still unlock the Stone Circle and build the Blue Charm because I, I think it's like top 10 items in the game. Uh, so yeah, here we are. Vengeance from the Lion God. All survivors are doomed. Full move towards the attacker. All survivors adjacent to the Lion God suffer bash. Not too bad. Attacker suffers. Lion God level plus 5 damage to 2 random hit locations and knockback 10. Survivors wearing heavy armor instead suffer knockback 20. Archive any impassable terrain the survivor collides, survivor collides with. The Lion God becomes more powerful when all the um, terrain around is archived. If the attacker encounters a board edge, roll a dice. On a 6+, plus, they suffer 10 brain damage. Pretty bad. On a 1-5, to five, they fly off into the darkness and they're dead. So that's just one of the top-end traps, and we can only imagine what we're going to encounter with the um, Screaming God and other late-game monsters. Uh, maybe the, the, the gold um, smoke knight and the jungle queen, the parasite queen, when they turn up, they're probably going to have equally horrific traps as well. So remember the blue charm, guys. If, if you take anything away from this, it's that the blue charm is amazing. Very hard to activate, but amazing. Yeah, that was going to be my question. It was how hard is this to activate with just base game? Because blue affinities are probably the hardest affinities to get. It's very difficult with just base game. I think you you have to do it with a um, with a blue survivor, just because of that uh, the free uh, blue affinities that you get from them. But yeah, otherwise I find that being very difficult to uh, to get those all those affinities to activate that ability. But that's definitely something we got to look into for our uh, personal and on stream campaigns. Josh, the uh, uh, blue charm mixed with the spear specialization could definitely make for a great trap diffuser. Yeah, it's something we definitely have to look into. Um, and just to make a note, these all cost just three straight-up organs to make. They actually don't use any Screaming Antelope resources. They're they're just organs. Um, though, note, as we said before, Screaming Antelope gives tons of organs to make this easier. Yes, indeed. Uh, I was just looking at it, and probably the Screaming Armor is the best way of getting the um, getting to the affinities. 
the screaming armor itself will give you one blue and two half blue affinities so you're most of the way there you can add a few extra bits and pieces in like um, a luck charm or an almanac or um, a cat's eye circlet or whatever and hopefully you can get there but it's um it it is a lot of work and effort to do it in the core game that's one of the reasons my character uses cyclopean armor is because cyclopean armor is just the lazy man's way of activating whatever the hell you feel like yeah that armor is pretty pretty powerful all right so we got the charms um what do you want to go into next you want to go into we did talk about blood pain already uh we want to talk about the bone orange real quick yeah yeah sure uh I haven't played People of the Bones, so I've generally avoided using the bone earrings. I have read about people who use the um, use them, though. Uh, start the showdown. You gain two speed and two strength tokens if you're insane, and all the gear in your gear grid has the bone keyword. So outside of People of the Bone, it can be a little tricky to get complete bone sets. But um, early on, you can build... Uh, a bone build um, involving the skull and using bone weapons and, and the like, and build a fairly potent survivor who um, who can make use of this. The thing is, I'm not sure if I want plus two speed. I'm really not that excited by high speed. Um, I, I prefer slow weapons. So it's an interesting item. It definitely feels tailor-made for people of the bone. Well, one thing we did with this one, I think what the setup we were trying to do, this was base game, was use this with the Zombato, um, and then use like a frenzy drink, and you get that plus speed, and you could do some really quick, heavy damage with the Zombato. Combined with bitter frenzy, that could be quite potent, so you can actually get the the weapon specialization ability still. Yeah, so that, that's that's what we try to play with it. And you have the bone helm, so you get that green infinity, uh, the red infinity. The green one, I would need to check to see if we were able to set that up or not for to get the, the devastating. But it's for like low speed weapons like that where this kind of becomes really interesting mechanic. Um, but base game, there's not a lot of bone stuff besides this bone smith. Otherwise, everything's mostly um, some other material. Right, and looping back to what Fen was saying, the uh, the speed really, unless it's on a slower weapon like the Zambato, can really be a hindrance more than anything else. That's one of those things where when you first pick up the game, uh, you think that speed is like one of the penultimate things that you want to have just because you want to attack more. But uh, when you start drawing those trap cards real quick and your six dice roll for your attack does nothing because of it, you kind of start kicking yourself. Yeah, so let's go into the next, the two weapons that you can get from the uh, Screaming Antelope there. He doesn't have many weapon choices. Um, so we got the Beast Knuckle, which is another guitar. Um, it's also bone. It's got a speed of two, six plus accuracy, four strength. Um, it's paired, and then it's whenever you wound with this weapon, the monster gains minus one toughness till the end of the, the attack. Then how do you feel about the Beast Knuckle? Well, obviously, when you compare it to the Lion Beast Guitar, it's more accurate, it's higher strength, um, and with rolling more dice, it's more likely to wound. Uh, this one definitely feels better designed for using two-handed. I will say I miss Deadly. I really do. Um, guitars, for me, the signature on them is having Deadly. Uh, so I've used the Beast Knuckle um, guitar wielder twice. Um, one just single and what then later on with both um it wasn't terrible uh it, it's katars it, do as a specialization have the ability to cancel the first reaction so you can get away with higher speed than normal um 
it's not bad. It's definitely better than you can give it credit for. Um, it's just hard to get away from Deadly on the Lion Beasts. Yeah, I like the Lion Beast a lot better. Just and Deadly's the main reason. And I, if its special text was a little bit better, um, it would be it would be a little bit nicer. If it was like minus one toughness to the end of the round or something, um, what would make this a much higher used weapon for me? But there's all, so so many better other attack weapons, and as a guitar, I just don't care for this too much. Matt, what do you think? Better, yeah, yeah, it's better than um, some of the guitars with the other expansion monsters. Um, I'd say it's about a mid mid tier guitar. Definitely not one of the top, but it, you shouldn't forget it exists, especially because there's not much else to do with the large flat teeth. Yeah, uh, Matt, what, what were you saying? I was going to say, yeah, I agree with what Fen was uh, getting at with the fact that you really do miss Deadly, uh, especially when you start trying to start getting more progressed in the game and you want to crit as much as possible just to farm resources. And I mean, especially on the Antelope where he's got so many damn crit locations, uh, you don't want to hinder yourself by removing the possibility of getting luck. And in some cases, we even have builds where the uh, the luck outstrips the the strength on the weapon. So... You're either going to crit or you're not going to wound the monster at all, which is sometimes beneficial, especially if you're farming. You have to remember, though, Beast Knuckles are not bad if you're attacking the Butcher because he only has one crit location. So, something there. Correct. They, these do have the, their own place for uh, the ability. And the, the minus toughness is good. The fact that it's just for the attack really is a hindrance on it. So, it's, it's it separates it from being great, in my opinion. It does trigger each time you wound, though. So, you're more likely to wound the more dice you roll. Yeah, so let's go into the lance, which is only you can only make that after you fight a level three, correct? You have to fight and beat a level three, and legendary horns trait has to hit play. All right, so this is a uh, it's a spear. It's two handed. It's also bone. Um, it's a two six nine. It's uh, irreplaceable, which kind of sucks. Um, in each showdown, the first time you would wound the monster, gains a minus one toughness token. So, how do you guys feel about this one? If it wasn't irreplaceable. I would absolutely love it. That's the only problem I have with it. It being irreplaceable means you have got to make sure whoever is getting this is as tough as heck and is not likely to drop dead very often because losing this, this this is a hell of a lot of effort to get this weapon. It's very dangerous. It's a level 3 antelope. It has to trigger legendary horns. But it is one of the best spears in the game, unless you're playing People of the Stars, but, you know. We'll talk about that spear at some time in the future. Yeah, I haven't played with this spear since it's so hard to get, but it looks like it would be one of the nicest spears to get in the game um, from the, all the other ones I've seen. And that minus one toughness tokens, that's a big it's a big thing to get. Yes. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, but just the effort required to get this spear really makes it a, a meh weapon in my book just because... Level three with that one trade card in play, it's just, I don't know if it's worth it to try and do it, especially, I mean, granted, a level three Screaming Antelope could be one of the easiest level threes. Uh, it's just having all that trigger, and then you also run the possibility of having yourself accidentally fight a level four line in the process, and that's definitely a turn off as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a lot of effort. Uh, I think I just come back to what I said first of all. If this was not irreplaceable, I would be absolutely a-okay with it. I, I would be really happy with how it is. All right, so let's go to the last item of the uh, Stone Circle, which is actually uh, White Lion gear. It's not even um, uh, Screaming Antelope gear. 
So this is the, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Boss Mendy. Is that right? I think that's right. Um, and the, the text on this says, Boss is brave. While adjacent to you, insane survivors gain plus one speed. So what are your thoughts on this? I don't really care too much for it, to be honest. Um, but then again, I am in the I don't need lots of speed camp. Uh, so I certainly don't need an item that takes up one slot. Um, and is situationally gives plus one speed to people who are insane. I think there are better Mendies in the game um, in some of the expansions. So I, I've i never used this because I've never seen the reason to. I, I just don't like it. Yeah, I agree with that there. I mean, plus one speed is, yeah, uh, it could be beneficial just because it is a plus one speed, not like a plus two or three. So uh, the fact that it's a lower speed is actually more appealing to me. Uh, but again, situational, they have to be adjacent to you and they have to be insane. Uh, it seems like it's not totally worth it. And this is exactly the ingredients you need to build a harp, and I'd rather a harp over this. And uh, it doesn't give you any affinities either. I think it would be more appealing if it gave you some affinities, possibly, uh, but yeah. it's just very bland. Yeah, you're, you're right. There are a lot of um, situational items in this game that could have been a lot more appealing if they had some affinities, more unusual ones. All right, so that's everything from the uh, Stone Circle. We'll talk. Uh, let's go over the uh, Barber Surgeon stuff real quick, just because a lot of it does use the uh, Screaming Antelope, and that's how it's going to be unlocked through 1.52. So let's start with uh, the Scavenger Kit. Um, this is a heavy uh, item. It is unique, and when you defeat a monster, you gain one, gain either one random resource basic resource or one random monster resource from the monsters resource deck and also has a green uh, downward affinity i like extra resources and what's the cost for this again one pelt one scrap that's relatively cheap for something that gives you a free resource at the end of every showdown that you have it it's really good it's probably the best item in the barber surgeon and sadly it's unique yeah so that's that's the scavenger kit let's go on to the brain mint next so brain mint is uh it's an item consumable upper green left blue uh consume remove any tokens and stand up you may use this while knocked down use once per showdown so fan what's your thoughts on this i actually really like this item um i've used it in several different builds because that set of affinities up green left blue are actually quite rare uh, and difficult to get and the ability is not bad because that's getting rid of all negative tokens. That's getting rid of bleed tokens. Uh, and, you know, it will remove positive tokens in the process, but that's not so bad. And it's a way of self-encouraging yourself up. So, yes, I, I do rate this item quite a bit. It's just, it's because the Barber Surgeon is so hard to make to open, it's kind of rare that you'll get to use it. That's interesting. I never really thought about using it to remove the bleeding tokens because I, I for some reason in my head, it just triggered... Uh, just status tokens, you know, movement speed, uh, accuracy. Uh, so that's definitely a lot more beneficial than I would have thought as an emergency bandage, as well as encourage, as well as negative status token removal. It does a lot at once. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good item. All right. So next up we have a uh, bug trap, which is uh, another item slidable. Uh, at the start of the showdown, roll 1d10 on a 3+, plus, add a bug patch terrain card to the showdown board. Your thoughts on this, guys? I mean, it's nice just because, as uh, Fen was saying before, the bug patch allows you to get some of the stuff that you need for cooking. But having not really done much cooking in the game, um, it's not really huge. 
but I could see it being more beneficial if we start to go down that route of uh, starting to make more of the cooking items. Yeah, it's not bad. It's a shame that it's um, a 3 plus rather than automatically, because this thing, again, it has no affinities. So if you're putting it in your grid, you're basically putting it there to try and get this um, vermin. And that means 20% of the time you've got a gear piece that doesn't do anything for you whatsoever. Uh, but yeah, if cooking becomes more important, I think the bug trap may become something you start using a bit more. What would also be nice is, uh, I don't think it on the terrain card for bug trap, if you have a, for the, um, vermin card, the bug, um, if you have this role like 2d10s, like using a pickaxe or some other of those where you have an item for that, it increases your odds of rolling on that table. I think that would be uh, nice. It does. Yeah, if you have the scavenger kit, you get plus one to the result. Yeah, I think if bug, bug trap was on there too, that would be nice. That that would make this a little bit more I usable. Uh, yes, yes. Um, I do. I do agree. Although, interestingly, just a little look. I'm just reading the terrain card now. Yeah. So if you have the scavenger kit, that means there's the worst that can happen is you get nothing at all from the result uh, from the bug, bug patch on a one. Uh, on a two, you get a random basic resource, and then on a three plus, you get a random vermin resource. So yeah, yeah, this just could—it just needs a little tweak to be situational, but but kind of maybe worth it, especially if you're going cooking. Yeah. So um, next item up is the speed power powder, which we talked about before. Um, as an action, you can suffer two brand damage, you gain one speed token, use once per showdown. Um, the other thing nice about this is it's one of the few cards in the base game that has a right blue affinity. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Although sat right, um, it also the almanac has a right blue affinity as well. And I believe those are the only two cards in the game. They the core game. Well, yes, I, I think you may well. Um, well, the screaming coat has a right blue affinity on it as well. But uh, yeah, right blue is quite hard to get. And yeah, I think we're all under the impression that speed powder is not really worth it as an item, aside from possibly that affinity. But the almanac would probably be more beneficial there. I don't mind it versus the slender man. It's one of the few ways to damage your brain outside of the Slenderman's specific occurrence of being shoved in his dark place. All right, so since we were talking about the al- al- Almanac, ugh, I can't speak. Um, almanac, let's talk about that next. It's lootable, flammable item. Uh, and when you depart, gain plus two insanity, and you cannot gain disorders, also right blue affinity. Thoughts on this? Well, this would have been really nice for that one session that we had with uh, the... Uh... Unki- oh, what was that one? The, the disorders that make you uh, unkillable when you're insane. Stark Ravings and uh, Immortal. Yeah, Stark Ravings and Immortal. If we had this on that character, then that whole nonsense with overwhelming darkness wouldn't have happened just because we wouldn't have had all the disorders, I think. No, that still would have happened. This would have just made it so that that setup would never change. Yeah, yeah. It's a way of locking in your disorders uh, on a character. And yeah, I can see it on um, the Stark Raving, Insane, Super Insane guys. The Almanac's pretty useful. Uh, I think the only real problem with the Almanac is it costs two leather and you have to have pictographs. And pictograph is not really a high priority innovation. Yeah, I agree with that. So let's see what, what do we have next. Let's go to the uh, Musk Bomb. And so this is a very. I always thought this was an interesting item, but never quite worth the resources for it. This takes seven resources, and you need pottery set up for it. Um, and it's a stinky throne, fragile item, and if adjacent to the monster, when it draws AI cards, you may spend two survival and archive musk bomb to roll a 1d10. On a 3+, plus, discard the AI card without playing it. And I just feel that's really, really heavy resources for a one-time use card. 
Can you repeat the resources one more time for me, Josh? It's seven resources and you need pottery to be able to make okay. it. I just wanted to make sure you said seven. That's, um, uh, yeah, that's excessive for a one-time use item. I think that maybe unless it was like a guaranteed discard or if it was a, you know, put it in the wound stack instead of playing it, it would be maybe more worth it. But that's really rough for just a, let's get this one AI card out of the way one time. And then this gear goes away forever. Van, your thoughts? I don't like this. I don't like you have to archive this to do it. I don't like that... Uh... Um, it doesn't work 100% of the time either. I don't like the cost. Um, I was looking at Spediculus today, which has another one of these bomb types in it. Um, that one, when you throw it, you archive it, and it automatically works, but it cancels um, Bash and Knockback for a round. I was thinking that's rubbish as well. I don't I don't want this. I, I don't think I'd ever build this. It's far too expensive for a one-use item. Maybe if it cost one resource, possibly, or if it had some good affinities, but... Yeah, this is this is kind of beyond situational. This is just not good at all. There are better ways to control AI than this and stop AI being played. Especially you're saying that you uh you would consider it with if it was one resource and it cost seven is really just uh giving you an insight as to how ridiculous the cost of this weapon is. I was being generous. I probably still wouldn't build it if it cost one resource unless I was ridiculously resource rich and you're never resource rich in this game. Yeah, the other thing I was thinking, maybe if it wasn't archive, it was one use, one time use per showdown or something, but it's still not even the situational stuff on it. It just makes it not that great. Josh, do you have the Gorm cards to hand at all? Uh, no, I don't have them on me right now. All right. It's a shame because, um, the pulse lantern, uh, is very comparable to this, but way better. Um, I do actually have it with me. Give me one moment, and I will read the text of the Pulse Lantern. Oh, I. Th- uh, so yeah, the Pulse Lantern here is uh, spend an activation, and once per showdown, roll a d10. On a four plus, the monster is knocked down, and all survivors gain minus one accuracy token. Yeah, so that will uh, do the same thing, slightly less reliably. But it doesn't get destroyed. Yeah, fine, you have to surge to do it, but you can. You can surge. The monster activates, and at the flow step, you can surge, activate the pulse lantern. Four plus, it gets knocked down. And you can carry multiple pulse lanterns as well. Um, This is one of the things we were doing last weekend, was playing with several pulse lanterns at once and using um, the rubber bone harness from uh, the Dung Beetle Knight to then clear away the accuracy tokens and turn them into positive ones. So yeah, this is this is the Pulse Lantern's a better example of what I would want from something like this. You know, once per showdown doesn't get uh, uh, archived, and a Pulse Lantern costs two resources to make. So there's no contest. I this this is just I don't know why we're still talking about this actually. Let's move on to the next gear. So Musk Bomb, no bueno, not good at all. You know, it's got Stinky on there. Yeah, that it's it's a stinky piece of shit. It's terrible. Tell us how you really feel, Fen. <laughs> I think it's a waste of cardboard. Poots, you can do better. All right, let's go to the next item. Um, let's go to the first aid kit. This has four green affinities. And at the start of the showdown, all survivors gain plus three survival. You ignore the disemboweled severe injury. And the only bad thing is it is a heavy item. I love this. I, I don't think there's anything at all wrong with this. It's a great item. It's got four greens in all directions. It is part of the Acanthus Doctor build, like a staple part of it. It's just fantastic. So, um, you know, uh, and ignoring disemboweled, as situational as it is, can be a huge thing. So, yeah, thumbs up for the first aid kit. 
and it's one leather and two bone to make, which is nice and cheap. Yeah, I like the green of, the green of it. That, like that itself is, I think, worth this item just because some of the uh, combos you can do, and uh, the plus three survival at the beginning of the showdown is is top notch because especially if you get higher levels and you lose all your survival during the uh, overwhelm darkness, you, you all you bring up the whole team to plus three. Yes, yeah, it, it, this is great for recovery from overwhelming darkness and hunting um, high level monsters. And it's one of the reasons why I'm excited that it's going to be easier to get the Barber Surgeon in 1.5. All right, so the last card in the Barber Surgeon, this is an interesting one. This is the Elder Earrings. Uh, it's got a left red, uh, right green, bottom blue. And at the start of the showdown, gain plus two survival, plus one hunt XP after a showdown. So it's a way to age up a little bit quicker. Well, it's also a guaranteed way to age up because it says plus one hunt XP after a showdown doesn't have to be successful or anything. If you do run away, otherwise you, you're you dead, so... Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. So yeah, the uh, age up faster is the way that that's going then. Uh, it, it would work with the Lion Knights because you can um, still survive and lose when the villain's defeated. Uh, see, there you go. I'm not crazy, Josh. There you go. There you go. The, the, one, the one expansion that lets that work. <laughs> Well, you know, obscure things. You've got to remember them. I like the affinities on the Elder Earrings as well. Um, these set of affinities tend to only happen on Phoenix gear in the core set, so it's nice to have them somewhere else as well. But I don't like accelerated hunt XP gain. I wish this was optional. Right. It seems like, you know, in the beginning of the game, it's beneficial. You want to start aging up quicker so you can get some of the bonuses and benefits and maybe even start with the weapon proficiency. Uh, but again, you're just aging yourself out of usability even faster, and uh, it creeps up on you in the game. I was actually thinking in the opposite direction, that this is better towards the end of the game when you're bringing new survivors in so you can bump them up quickly and get to the second or third age category within a, 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 twice the normal speed. Yeah, I was I was thinking the same thing, but well, that I was makes think- sense. It brings the uh, the younger ones up to speed, but then uh, with the update of the uh, was it the Lantern Horde, the shared experience, I think that kind of mitigates the necessity of this to an extent. True. Yeah, I think the new Lantern Horde kind of put this obsolete because I thought this was always a good way to get a brand new survivor out and get them to two hundred XP so they get weapon proficiency and stuff because the first two don't matter. It's once after that you start need to. You, you want to slow down and get your weapon proficiencies and stuff and, and then get your age tokens and stuff as they go along. But the weapon proficiency is one of the biggest things that you need that you don't want to ramp up the age too much in case you can actually do some cool stuff with your survivor. Yes, yes. So I think that's it for the gear. Am I wrong? Yeah, uh, that's all the gear. Yeah. That's all I'm uh, all I'm seeing as well. I mean, I think we've hit on the, the points that I wanted to talk about. Um, just to go back through my favorites is Brain Mint good, Scavenger Kit good, First Aid Kit good, Blood Paint amazing, Blue Charm absolutely unbelievably amazing, and the armor is a lot better than people give it credit for. And don't forget the Musk Bomb. Oh yes, of course. Hang on a minute. I'm just going to go downstairs and take my three Musk Bombs out of my box and stick them in an envelope and stick the envelope in a fire. <laughs> okay, so is there anything else you guys wanted to touch on with the Screaming Antelope before we start wrapping it up? I'm uh, I'm pretty happy here, so unless there are any questions from chat. Yeah, I'm also happy. I mean, talking about this more and looking at some of the... I, I forgot about some of the cool things that he does have that makes it worth it. And it's not even, like, stuff that you can only get from him. It's just he's the easiest way to get that stuff. So, like, all the charms and stuff are really cool and fun. Um and making builds for those, especially with just base game, is interesting just because getting five affinities is hard of any color. Yeah. 
Uh, that's one of the reasons I was quite keen to do this podcast uh, is that I do think the Screaming Antelope is a bit maligned and actually gets a worse rep than it deserves. I don't think it's the best monster in the core game, but I think it's like a solid one that you should be hunting quite a few times. So I am seeing one question here in chat, and it's uh, what are the nastiest aspects of a level three or legendary antelope? That's the the mad steed. So, uh, Fen, do you want to take that one? I'm going to leave the mad steed for a future time because that could take like half an hour by itself. It's really horrific. But the um, the worst aspects of the uh, of the level three antelope, I think, almost certainly is the actually the the ramping up on the speed that it gets um via hyper metabolism and its natural plus two speed and all of a sudden attacks that are sort of oh you know that's kind of bad because and a bit scary because it's like oh god it's kicking me with one speed for three damage all of a sudden it's kicking you three times for like five damage a piece um so that's yeah pretty bad and Legendary horns. If that crops up early on during the fight, then it's a huge ramp up in difficulty. So that's the two things I find um, that really make the difference. Yeah, I think the uh, hyper metabolism paired with the uh, the one AI card where he's going around and eating all the acanthus plants could really pose a lot of issues, especially if that happens early on into the showdown. You could really find yourself behind the eight ball. Absolutely, yeah. An early um, what's it called chow down um, could make the antelope almost unmanageable because unlike poor survivors monsters just get better and better as they get more speed yeah and if that's the first card on top of and that's first turn he eats one and he's got now one plus one speed there it's going to take you two or three turns to get rid of all the acanthus on the board to to clear that out so he's going to probably get two or three speed tokens so all of a sudden you have a, a monster with like plus four plus five speed on top of whatever its base attacks are uh, going after you. That could be more than problematic. That means you're probably going to die after one attack. I think if you if it chows down, you've really got to hit it and smack the chow down as off as a wound. You, you yeah, can't yeah, that's it. true. And then get back to the get rid of the acanthus in case the second chow down turns up. But also that's a um, it's it's sort of like you've got to watch out for the right opportunities to rawhide. I think. Um, and uh, that's one of the things I've been looking into lately is how to take Rawhide into the late game successfully. The headband, I should say, um, which I will talk about in one of the future uh, podcasts about how to take Rawhide headband through to late game and not have your poor survivor get nailed. But against the level three antelope, you can wear full Rawhide on your bow guy and get away with it. So yeah, control the AI deck, definitely try and avoid the legendary actions occurring and mill them. Um, legendary horns, you just sort of try and shove it down to the bottom of the deck and get it to pop up as late as possible. So yeah, that's that's more or less it. It's very mobile, it's very annoying, it's very, very dangerous, but there are worse level threes. All right, so that's all I'm seeing from chat. So uh, are you guys good with wrapping it up here? Uh, yep, yep, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm Josh? good here. I think I think we covered uh, the screaming animal pretty well. Okay, so thank you everyone for joining us. This was uh, TGN's presentation of Great Game Hunters, a Kingdom Death Monster podcast. Uh, the screaming antelope going over and nitpicking every little piece of it and seeing what we could really do with it. Uh, please join us for our next session. Where correct me if I'm wrong, we're going to be going over the butcher. Correct? Yeah, butchers. Then so we're doing. We're going to try to do this every other week. So next session is going to be the 13th, hopefully. Yep. Um, and we'll be going over the uh, the fun of the butcher, and that 
that's going to be interesting. It's going to be Butcher and then some early game builds, if I remember correctly. Is that the plan? Yeah, I think the Butcher is going to be a little bit shorter since there's not too much to talk about. Since there's no yeah, gear there's or resources, so... No gear, no resources, no hunt phase, and then there's really minimal... You know, there's only the one crit location after the update, uh, so there's not going to be quite as much meat to the Butcher itself. I suppose we ought to mention and talk about the Mask Maker during that section, because the only way you get to the Mask Maker is via the Butcher. Yeah, so we'll have a little bit of gear to talk about with the Mask, which are pretty cool, but I think the, the other you get them through a hunt event, too. That's about it. Oh, yes, the, um, the Zelda... Um, traveling mask salesman okay but thank you everyone for joining us and we hope that you tune in next time uh please follow us on twitch twitter instagram youtube uh we are under all of them as twitch game night uh and then please come chat with us in our discord where you guys can come and talk more kingdom death strategy with us and don't forget to view our regular streams on uh tuesday uh, it's 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to be doing our continuation of Twitch Plays Kingdom Death. Uh, going into Lantern Year what, Josh? Uh, 8. We're going to fight the Slenderman in a special encounter. So you're going to have fun. Watch me get salty. Reset. Don't forget to reset your uh, insanity at the start and every time you get dragged off into the pod. Yeah, that makes things a little bit different. Uh, and then join us on Thursday, 8 p.m. for our continuation of Twitch Plays Kingdom Death. Uh, as a reminder, we're doing Double Death. So every week during the uh, Kingdom Death Kickstarter campaign, we're going to be doing two broadcasts of Twitch Plays Kingdom Death. And then after that, join us for our regularly scheduled Monday uh, Spotlight Showcase. It is not going to be this upcoming Monday, but the Monday after. Uh, we're going to be, I don't, Josh, do we have a game selected for that yet? Uh, nothing scheduled yet. We're still waiting on some stuff, but we have game. I'm not sure which game's going to be uh, featured. We have uh, two games that might be featured then. But you can find that out by following us on Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all the fun things. And again, that's at Twitch Game Night. Uh, but again, thank you everyone for joining us, and we hope to have you here back here for our next broadcast of Great Game Hunters. Uh, this is TGN signing off. I'm Matt. I'm Josh. And I'm Fen, and may your next hunt be very fruitful and filled with resources. I like it. Good night, everyone. Good night. <laughs>